If you're a first-time guest, uh, my name is Dane. I'm the, the student pastor here at Hoffmantown. Um, this is about my 16th year of student ministry or worship ministry. Um, I am now officially the old guy when we hang out with other student pastors, and that's fun. Um, <laughs> Uh, every week, that means I get to invest in the spiritual lives of our 7th through 12th graders. I don't do that alone, though. My wife Stephanie and a handful of other volunteers joins with me, and we invest in these students' lives. So, parents, thank you for allowing us this great privilege. Um, we don't take it lightly at all. Um, on top of leading our high school and junior high students, I've had the opportunity uh, to hang out with a lot of our college and young adults and just have some great conversations about what God is doing in their lives and their ministries. Um, and we're just talking about what God wants to see at Hoffmantown and in Albuquerque through them, our college and young adults. Um, we've been here eight months at Hoffmantown. It does not feel like it. It feels like we got here yesterday. Um, this has been an incredible eight months. Um, church family, thank you over and over and over again for blessing my family and blessing the other pastors. Um, we are so grateful for you. Um, I know personally we feel so incredibly welcomed and just already plugged in and a part of the family. Um, before we jump into today's sermon, we're going to start a little differently. We're going to start with prayer, and then we're just going to jump into the Word. So let's, let's do that now. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your Son, Jesus. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. Speak to us today as we dive into your Word and we look to you for truth for the way. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When we first moved to Albuquerque, um, Steph and me started praying a prayer, and it started um, around May 15th when we came in view of a call. We got to the parking lot on Saturday, and we started walking around the building, and uh, we were just praying. And a prayer came back to my heart that a friend of mine showed me in college. Um, probably about 18 years ago. It's a really simple prayer found in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 17. It says this, Then Elisha prayed, Lord, please open his eyes and let him see. And I've been praying that prayer for years now. Um, ever since my friend Cliff showed me that prayer, this story from the Old Testament that I had never seen before, I've been praying that prayer. When I get off track or I get confused, um, God brings his prayer back to my heart. And I hope you have prayers like that for yourselves. And if you don't, you can steal this one, I promise. It's not mine. It's Elisha's. He would love for you to do that. When I get off mission, when I start, start to see lost people as the enemy, instead of those who are hurting without Jesus, God brings his prayer back to my mind. When I get stagnant in my personal devotions with prayer, um, with my personal time with God, this prayer comes back to my heart. And I'll pray something like this. God, help me see you with fresh eyes as I read your word. Help me see you with fresh eyes as I worship you through song. Help me see you with fresh eyes as I share you with those around me. I've prayed this prayer for every city Steph and I have served in. I've prayed this prayer for every church Steph and I have served in. For the last 16 plus years, this prayer has been on my heart and on my mind. When we moved to Albuquerque again, God brought this prayer to my heart. Lord, please open my eyes and let me see what you're doing here. 
Let me join you, God. We pray, God, help us see Albuquerque the way you see Albuquerque. Help us fall in love with this city. And then God did something amazing and beautiful for me and my family, and he answered our prayer. We've been to Albuquerque so many times. I mean, being the center of the state, we come here all the time for all sorts of different reasons. But God opened our eyes to see the beauty of his creation in Albuquerque. Let's talk about this for a second. Has anyone ever driven through the Bosque in the fall? Give me a break. That's beautiful, right? If you're only here for a couple of days, you miss that. You don't get to see the changing colors. It'll be green one day and like bright orange the next. How does that happen? Somebody that understands science, come talk to me later. I'd love to know, but that's amazing. And it just allows you to take a breath and say, God, thank you. Let's talk about this one. We've experienced this a lot lately. The snow on the Sandias, here today and gone tomorrow, right? Not here last night and here in the morning. Here in the morning and gone in the afternoon. But it's beautiful. Also, I'm a little bit of a nerd. You guys, some of you already know this. There are literally roadrunners everywhere. There's like 15 that live on our street. I have lived in New Mexico for 36 years, and I've seen more roadrunners in the last eight months than the entire 36 years combined. And those birds are sassy. There was one on my porch a couple months ago. That bro was mean. So God has opened our eyes to see the beauty and the uniqueness that is Albuquerque. How come in New Mexico we feel like when we look at the scriptures that say to all the earth and we're like, but we're New Mexico. We're not part of that earth. God created New Mexico too, by the way. In all its uniqueness, in all its beauty. We've fallen in love with something even more awesome. The local coffee shops in Albuquerque. Anybody? Oh, yeah. I've got Starbucks down there this morning, and it is not good. There's so many other local coffee shops that, like, care about their product. And as a student pastor, and this is very much a student ministry sermon, so if you haven't been in student ministry in the last, I don't know, several decades, welcome. <laughs> welcome back. Um, this is what the students get every week. Um, we have a mascot that they've given us in the student ministry. It's a squirrel. Um, they've named him Dave Wilson. My name is Dane Wilkerson. I don't know why they named the squirrel Dave Wilson. Maybe it has something to do with me. And when I get off track, please don't do this, though. There's too many of you. When I get off track, one of the kids will be like, squirrel, and then we get back to Jesus. So welcome to student ministry. Maybe this is why I get off track. I skateboard. I've skateboarded for the last, like, 25 years. And Albuquerque has so many skate parks. And I, I love, I've fallen in love with all these incredible skate parks and getting to share Jesus. And most of the time, I just, I've fallen at the skate parks, and I should just lay down for 30 minutes and go home. But I love getting to the, go to the skate parks and just talk to people about Christ. So... One other thing that I've noticed 
is there are folks in Albuquerque, God has opened my eyes, that folks in Albuquerque are in desperate need of the gospel. Um, when you come to a place and you just visit, you don't really notice how lost it is. And every other time I've come to Albuquerque, it's to see family, go to the conference, get to the airport, whatever it is. You don't have time to sit and observe. And moving here and settling into our neighborhood and settling in Hoffmantown, it's given us an opportunity, given me an opportunity to sit down and observe and see the depth of spiritual lostness in Albuquerque. Now, this last week we had the opportunity to go to the evangelism conference put on by the Baptist Convention in New Mexico. Um, most of the pastors, I think all the pastors were there, several of the deacons and church members were there, some elders. It was a great opportunity for us just to um, learn about evangelism. And one of the speakers there was the president of the New Orleans uh, Baptist Theological Seminary. And he said that very exact same thing. He was shocked at the lostness. He was surprised at the lostness in New Mexico. They had come to New Mexico about 48 hours earlier to, to celebrate their 13-year-old's birthdays. They have two sets of twins. And he said, it's, it's lost. And he was shocked. And so I went up to him after everything was done, and I said, hey, thanks for stealing from my sermon that you've never heard and never will hear. And, and I said, thank you for sharing your observation about New Mexico, because it is lost. And if you've been here very long, sometimes we just forget. And then he said something that really surprised me. He said there was a guy that came up right before me who was so mad at him for saying how lost New Mexico was. Completely disagreed. That man, whoever he is, like me from time to time, has become blind to the lostness in New Mexico. Because if that guy's observation wasn't enough, not two speakers later, there was an actual statistic. 90% of New Mexico is without Jesus. 90%. This is an unreached people group right here at our doorstep. So not only has God opened my eyes to see his beauty and creation, he's opened my eyes that Albuquerque needs Jesus. And here's the positive part of this, something that I was not expecting very encouraging thing. I have also seen the incredible receptiveness to people wanting to talk about Jesus here. In the last eight months, I've had some of the greatest times of personal evangelism, greatest times of just going out and sharing Jesus with folks, and they want to talk about Jesus. They want to talk about spiritual things. That's what happens when there's great lostness. There's also great receptiveness to Jesus. That's how it works. So, all this started with a prayer 15 plus years ago. Lord, please open my eyes and let me see. If we all prayed this prayer on a regular basis, what do you think would happen uh, to our view of our community? Would it change? If we prayed this prayer, Lord, please open my eyes and let me see before interacting with our lost friends, family, our neighbors, would it change the way we interacted with them? I think I'd be a lot less cranky, especially with my neighbor's weird decorations in the yard or something. Like, we get petty things in front of actually caring. What would happen, students, if you prayed this before going to school? 
And if you're homeschooled, what would happen if you prayed before you left your bedroom? Your parents would probably appreciate that, your teachers and your administrators. <laughs> what would happen if you prayed this before going to work? What would happen if we prayed this before coming to this place to worship God? Would it change the way that we interact with God? And would it change the way we interact with each other in this room, in this church? I believe God would hear the cry of our hearts and open doors for us to share his son with the community around us. Because God loves to answer prayers that line up with his scripture. I believe we would worry less, we would fear less, we would wander around aimlessly less because God would open our eyes and give us the spiritual focus we need to follow his son Jesus. We all get on focus from time to time. And we forget that God is up to something huge in our lives. And in this town, we can become blind to the awesomeness of Christ's salvation for us. We can even become blind to God's truth. So we're going to look at that scripture in context. I don't like looking at scripture out of context. It doesn't do us any good. So we're going to look at the whole story, the whole account in 2 Kings 6. And then we're going to look at a couple other places to see how much God wants to open our eyes. So here we go. 2 Kings chapter 6, starting in verse 8. When the king of Aram was waging war against Israel, he conferred with his servants, My camp will be at such and such place. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Be careful passing by this place, for the Arameans are going down there. Consequently, the king of Israel sent word to the place the man of God had told him about. The man of God repeatedly warned the king so the king would be on his guard. The king of Aram was enraged because of this matter. And he called his servants and demanded of them, Tell me which one of us is for the king of Israel. So here we have Elisha getting word from God where the king of Aram is going to attack. And then he passes that word along so well and so often to the king of Israel that the king of Aram thinks that they have a spy problem. And I don't know about you, but we understand that this kind of problem is one you don't want to have when you're engaged in war. We don't need a spy problem here. He doesn't need a spy problem here. So let's look at verse 11 again. The king of Aram was enraged because of this matter. And he called his servants and demanded of them, Tell me which one of us is for the king of Israel. Verse 12. One of his servants said, No one, my lord the king. Elisha, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel, Even the word you speak in your bedroom. He sees you when you're sleeping. That's awesome. Yikes. <laughs> Verse 13. So the king said, go and see where he is so I can send men to capture him. When he was told Elijah's in Dothan, he sent horses, chariots, and a massive army there, and they went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up early and went out, he discovered an army with horses and chariots surrounding the city. So he asked Elisha, oh, my master, what are we to do? Elisha said, don't be afraid, for those who are with us outnumber those who are with them. Don't be afraid. Can you imagine Elisha's servant for just a second? Why can't I have a normal master like every other, like why? 
that sees what's actually there. Don't be afraid. And then we see Elisha pray this very simple prayer for his servant. Then Elisha prayed, Lord, please open the eye, open his eyes and let him see. So the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw that the mountain was covered with horses and chariots of fire. We're not talking about regular horses and chariots here. These are better horses and chariots. And they were all around Elisha. God opened Elisha's servant's eyes. This servant went from seeing no hope in his current situation to seeing God's power fully on display. This servant went from being afraid to being in awe of God. God's army was no doubt more fierce, more battle-ready, and more on fire than the king of Aram's piddly little force. God's mighty power was on display. But the account continues in verse 18. When the Arameans came against him, Elijah prayed again to the Lord, Please strike this nation with blindness. So he struck them with blindness according to Elisha's word. Then Elisha said to them, This is not the way, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will take you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to Samaria. When they entered Samaria, Elisha said, Lord, open these men's eyes and let them see. So the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw that they were in the middle of Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elijah, Should I kill them? Should I kill them, my father? And Elisha replied, Don't kill them. Do you kill those who have been captured with your sword or your bow? Set food and water in front of them so they can eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared a big feast for them. When they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away, and they went to their master. And then the Aramean raiders did not come into Israel's land again. This is an amazing Old Testament account that just pretty much shows us God's awesome power. When I was looking around in commentaries, they say that this account really serves no other purpose than to show us how awesome and powerful God is. That's incredible. These scriptures and this account are important to me personally, and I pray that they're important to you because I forget all too often that God is way bigger than my problems. Anybody with me? It's easy. God is so much stronger than any enemy that we face. One commentary I read compared uh, this account in 2 Kings um, to a verse in 1 John 4.4. This is uh, 1 John 4.4. You are from God, little children, and you have conquered them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Because of our relationship with Christ, that means we have overcome the world. And we don't have to fear the trouble that surrounds us. If you're a follower of Jesus today, you don't have to fear the trouble that surrounds you. That's good news, is it not? Look at John 16.33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. 
we will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. We can live in the reality that Jesus has conquered this world and will use our suffering and will use our pain for his glory. Our pain and our suffering will not be wasted. And that's good news too. Jesus, our King, has overcome this world by his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. Now, we've seen in this account that God can open our eyes to his power. Let's look at another account. This is in John chapter 9, starting in verse 1. And this is Jesus opening someone else's eyes in two very important ways. Here we go. We're going to read that whole account, starting in verse 9. As he, and this is Jesus here, and this is John chapter 9, starting in verse 1. As Jesus was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi or teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so God's work might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it's day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After he said these things, he spit on the ground. This is a great student ministry sermon, by the way. He spit on the ground and made some mud from his saliva. Junior high boys at this point are cheering. Yes. And it gets better. He spread the mud on this man's eyes. Yes. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he left, washed, and came back seeing. His neighbors and those who had, who had seen him before as a beggar said, Isn't this the one who used to sit begging? Some said, He's the one. Others were saying, No, but it looks like him. And he kept saying, I'm the one. Awesome. So they asked him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and told me to go to, the, go to Siloam and wash. So when I went and washed, I received my sight. Okay, where is he, they ask. I don't know, he said. So here begins some good he said, she said drama. This guy's neighbors pretty much told him, you were blind, or that this man who was blind and now saw, we don't believe you. You weren't the blind man. Where is Jesus so we can prove you wrong? Pretty funny. And how bizarre it must have been for this guy who was like, I was blind. I have no answers. The drama continues and gets even funnier. So they brought the man, verse 13, they brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. So they couldn't get the answer they wanted from the man, so they brought him to some religious experts. Maybe these religious experts can uh, get the truth out of this guy. Verse 14. The day that Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes was a Sabbath. Uh-oh. Not supposed to work on the Sabbath. Then the Pharisees asked him again how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, he told me. He told them. I washed and I can see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. This guy didn't heal him, he healed on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. He's a terrible Hebrew. How can a sinful man perform such signs? And there was division among them. 
So now we get an even more drama because these religious experts get more focused on the fact that Jesus made mud with spit on the Sabbath. These guys are more concerned that someone worked on the Sabbath, calling Jesus sinful instead of being amazed that a guy who was blind could now see. Verse 17, again they asked the blind man, what do you say to him since he opened your eyes? He's a prophet, he said. The Jews did not believe this about him, that he was blind and received sight, until they summoned the parents of the one who had received his sight. And the plot thickens. We don't believe you. We're the religious experts. That guy was sinful. We need your parents to tell us the truth. So here we go, verse 19. They ask him, is this your son, the one you say was born blind? How then does he now see? We know this is our son and that he was born blind. His parents answered, But we don't know how he now sees, and we don't know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. And I love this little part of the scriptures. His parents said this, said these things because they were afraid of the Jews, since the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him, and him being Jesus, as the Messiah, he would be banned from the synagogue. This is why his parents said, he's of age. Ask him. They were afraid. They didn't want to be kicked out of the synagogue. Okay, verse 24. So a second time they summoned the man who had been blind and told him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, I love this, I was blind and now I can see. And then they ask him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I already told you, he said, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become one of his disciples too, do you? This is awesome. (laughs) This is what I like to call poking the bear. (laughs) They ridiculed him. You're that man's disciple, but we're Moses' disciple. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, we don't know where he's from. This is an amazing thing, the man told them. You don't know where he's from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him. Throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. Then the religious leaders kind of flipped out. You were born entirely in sin, they replied, and you were trying to teach us, and then they threw him out. Now, this is where the account gets really beautiful. If we stopped there, it wouldn't be a beautiful account. It'd be cool, but this is the beauty of following Christ right here. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out. And when he found him, he asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him, he asked. And Jesus answered, You have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. I believe, Lord, he said, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, I came in this world for judgment in order that those who do not see will see and those who do see will become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and asked, we aren't blind too, are we? If you were blind, Jesus told them, you wouldn't have sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. 
What a mess. What a beautiful, stinking mess. Jesus opened this man's physical eyes. He was blind from birth. Now he could see. And then he was thrown out of the, of the presence of the religious leaders because Jesus took care of him. Jesus healed him and he couldn't say anything bad about Jesus because there wasn't anything bad to say. He spoke the truth and the Pharisees kicked him out. But it gets better. Jesus did something amazing, something so much more amazing than the physical sight. Jesus opened this man's spiritual eyes and saved him. Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out, and when he found him, he asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir, that I may believe him? He asked. Jesus answered, You have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. I believe, Lord, he said, and he worshiped him. Some of us today need to realize that God is ready to open our spiritual eyes. God wants to save you today. Some of you today need God to open your eyes so you can see his salvation for you. In a room this size with this many people, it is safe to assume somebody came in this room and doesn't know Jesus. Today is the day of salvation. If you feel God pulling at your heart today saying, I want to save you, he is opening your eyes. Come to him this morning. Give him your life. Begin that relationship. At Hoffmantown Church, we pray and we long for people to give their lives for, to Christ. If God is speaking to you, if he has opened your eyes to salvation, don't leave this room without talking to somebody. So 2 Kings, we see God's power. John chapter 9, we see God's salvation opening our eyes. But in John chapter 9, you see, you see Jesus talking to the Pharisees. And he, you see him talking to them about getting so focused on checking those religious boxes that they forgot that Jesus, the Messiah, was the whole point of all of this. And before we throw the Pharisees and Sadducees and religious experts and scribes under the bus... We can be just like them. We get so focused on checking the spiritual boxes that we forget that Jesus is the point. So here, look at John chapter 5, starting in verse 31. John 5, starting in verse 31. If I, Jesus, testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies about me, and I know that the testimony he gives about me is true. You sent messengers to John, and he testifies to the truth. I don't receive human testimony, but I say these things so that you may be saved. John was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. God sent John the Baptist to proclaim that Jesus was coming. And it says here that the Jews celebrated that for a little while. We know later that John lost his head. But for a while, they were willing to rejoice in John proclaiming 
The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is coming. Jesus continues, But I have a greater testimony than John's because of the works that my Father has given me to accomplish. These very works I am doing testify about me that the Father has sent me. The Father who sent me has himself testified about me. You have not heard his voice at any time. You haven't seen his form. You don't have his word residing in you because you don't believe the one he sent. You pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them. And yet they testify about me. But you are not willing to come to me so that you may have life. I do not accept the glory, I do not accept glory from people, but I know you that you have no love for God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and yet you don't accept me. If someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe, since you accept glory from one, from one another, but you don't seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. But if you don't believe what he wrote, how will you believe my words? This is rough, folks. These are not easy scriptures. These religious leaders miss Jesus because their religious behavior and their religious knowledge and rules got in the way of seeing the way, the truth, and the life, which is Jesus. They were blinded by trying to be more religious than the Hebrew guy down the street, and they couldn't see the Son of God standing right in front of them. But again, we can't throw these religious leaders under the bus. We do the same thing. When we allow the spiritual disciplines in our lives to become just an act of checking a box, we don't really care about seeing the face of Jesus. And when we're there, we're on dangerous ground. We practice spiritual disciplines like reading the Bible, prayer, scripture memory, meeting together for worship, just to name a few so that we can experience and know Jesus personally. That's why we're here. That's why we sing. That's why we read. That's why we pray, to see the face of Jesus. If we aren't trying to know Jesus when we come here, then we're missing the point. If you're not trying to know Jesus when you open the word at home, you're missing the point. It's all about Jesus. He is our righteousness. We are not right with God without Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. We cannot get to God except through him. Look at how beautifully this is described, this illumination, this understanding of God's word in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 10 through 14. Now God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit, since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except his Spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have not received the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has freely been given to us by God. We also speak these things not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. 
But the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit because it is foolishness to him. He is not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. These religious experts and leaders could not follow Jesus because that was foolishness to them. We cannot understand God's word that points us to Jesus without the Holy Spirit making it make sense to us. The world will call this following of Jesus foolishness. Go for it anyway. Who cares what the world thinks? Look around at what the way the world thinks. Is it benefiting the world at all? Is it working for them? No. Follow wholeheartedly after Jesus today. In everything you do, look to him. When you read the word, ask God to, for, for your eyes to be open to see Jesus on every page. Jesus is literally in scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelation. You can find him. He didn't just show up in Matthew and be like, hey guys, here I am. He was there way before, even at creation. We need the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to his word. In these few accounts and just brief snapshots of God moving in people's lives, we have seen that God loves to open our eyes. We looked at Elijah's servant. He opened his eyes to God's power. We looked at the man who was born, born blind from birth, whose eyes were opened physically, and then his eyes were opened to salvation, which is even better. We looked at, these, we looked at the religious leaders and how the, the Holy Spirit is the only one that can open our eyes to the beauty of God's word. The Holy Spirit points us to Jesus. I want you to think about your life for a second. In what area of your life does God want to open your eyes? Because these are just three ways. Here's your homework. Again, I told you this is a student ministry sermon. Here's your homework. When you look at Scripture today, when you pray today, Ask God to open your eyes. And look at all the other accounts in Scripture. Pastor David talked about several of them. Because when I started digging around in this, Saul to Paul, are you kidding me? Read that transformation. You will see all three of these played out in real time. Blinded, God's power. Healed. And then Jesus showing up and saying, why, why are you persecuting me? Eyes open to salvation. And then he was sent out because God gave him something so beautiful, sight. In what area of your life does God want to open your eyes? Can you recognize God's power in your life? Follower of Jesus, you have to be able to see God's power in your life. His strength is our strength. We are not strong without him. We need him to be strong because we are so incredibly weak. And I'm talking about myself here. <laughs> we need God's strength. Can you see his power in your life? Are you living, believing, and knowing that Christ has truly overcome the world? 
Have your eyes been opened to God's salvation through his son Jesus? Do you need to give your life to Christ today? Are you going to trust him? Follower of Jesus, are your eyes open to the wonder of God's word? I would encourage you to read Psalm 119. If, you're, if your time with God's word has just become stale, take the next several days and just read one little section of Psalm 119. It's broken up by the Hebrew alphabet. I dare you to read it that way. One little section a day. Read it a couple, that one little section several times a day. I dare you to read it that way because at the end of those several days, you're going to be in love with God's word again. It's too powerful. Sharper than any double-edged sword. Alive and active. So those are just three ways. But the Holy Spirit has spoken to you this morning personally because that's what God does. And if there's some other way that God has said, I need your eyes opened. I need you to pray this prayer. I need you to give me this part of your life that you're holding back. Do that today. We're gonna pray here in a second and we're gonna ask God to move in this place as he sees fit. We're gonna ask him to turn on the spiritual lights so we don't have to walk around in darkness anymore. We're gonna ask God to move in our whole lives and not just one part. And if you wanna pray this morning and begin a relationship with Jesus, we're gonna be down front, handful of us, and we'd love to lead you in that prayer. We'd love to lead you in that act of giving your life to Christ. The prayer you pray does not save you. That's just a conversation with God. Jesus saves you. But if that's you today, come on down. Follower of Jesus, if you need to do business where you're at, standing up, sitting down, whatever you need to do, just do business with God today. If he's opened your eyes, move, go. But no matter what, as you leave this place, Today, tomorrow morning, as you're headed in traffic to work, as you're coming home, back to family, whatever you're doing, pray that God would open your eyes so that you might see. And let's see what God does in our lives and in our church. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. And we just pray this morning, God, that you would open our eyes to your power, to your salvation, and to your truth. Thank you for this opportunity to be here together learning from you and, and singing your praises. God, move among us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.